Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zylstra and Karen Nowitz. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. Did you know that the global cybersecurity workforce gap is roughly 3.4 million people? This means that the supply of skilled cybersecurity workers needed to protect businesses from cyber threats has struggled to keep up with growing demand, putting us all in danger. And on that note, welcome to Phoenix Business Radio X. I'm Bianca Buliga, Director of Marketing and Communications at the Arizona Technology Council, and I'm filling in for Karen Nowicki today. Karen, we do miss you, but the show must go on. I'd like to welcome you to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites tech and business experts to have real conversations about what's happening across the state of Arizona. AZ TechCast discusses the critical issues, topics, and trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. Now, join me in giving a warm welcome to today's featured guests. First off, we have Dara Gibson, the AZ president of WESIS Phoenix and senior manager at Optive. Hi, Dara. How are you today? Thank you. How are you, Bianca? Doing well. We're so happy to have you here. Up next, we have Susan Morris. Uh, Susan is the co-owner of ABL Cyber Academy and Cogent Cyber Range. Susan, so glad you're here with us today. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Our pleasure. And last but certainly not least, we have Andrew Roberts. He's the Chief Cybersecurity Strategist at C-Store, a microwave company. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Hi, Bianca. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited to get started today. These accomplished experts join Steve Seilstra, President and CEO of the Arizona Technology Council, in discussing how Arizona can more effectively close the cybersecurity workforce gap and connect with skilled cybersecurity talent. We have a lot of interesting content to cover, so let's dive in. I'm just going to start by asking each of you to briefly introduce yourselves um, and the role that your organization plays in Arizona's technology ecosystem. Dara, would you like to start? Absolutely. So I am actually the senior manager at Optive for the Cyber Insurability Services. My focus is really providing that consultative service and advisory consulting businesses on their risk management strategies when it comes to the need for insurance related to cyber insurance, to cybersecurity and reducing that risk across the platform. I'm a nationally recognized, you know, advocate for women in cybersecurity. And I do that by mentoring and advancing women in their careers, as well as providing resources to show them avenues that they can proceed moving forward. And I do that really with the enhancement of DEI balancing that that balance that clear balance that needs to be approached nowadays. I do think that women are oftentimes not encouraged to pursue cybersecurity as a career, so I think that's really fabulous. Thank you so much. Susan, would you like to go next? Sure. I'm Susan Morris. I'm the co-owner of Advanced Business Learning Cyber Academy and the newly released Cyber uh, Cogent Cyber Range. 
What our mission is, is to prepare information technology and operations OT incoming and the incumbent workforce with cyber certification training and job role ready skills. And we do it in one year or less because we're all in a hurry um, to improve and enhance and support the skills of the workforce of the IT and operations technology workforce. Now, when you say OT, OT, what is that? Operations technology. We all know what IT is. OT hasn't gotten the focus that it really needs. Operations technology is the hardware, the uh, systems in water plants, in electricity, electric facilities. Those are at significant risk. And so that's really where the focus is in collaborating with the Department of Energy. We're working to really increase skills on the OT side, never leaving IT behind. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I appreciate that. Andrew, what about you? I'm Andrew Roberts. I'm the Chief Cybersecurity Strategist at C-Store, a microwaves company. Um, Also the same role in microwaves itself. You know, we really bring a lot of technology to the different clients and businesses that are out there. It's my job. I lead up the cybersecurity practice. So I do have a team of people and we're really make it less muddy for people uh, when they're trying to fix because there's a lot of different vendors out there in the market and it's our job to understand that and find the piece that's, that really fits for them. And then I'm also a president of Arizona InfraGuard, uh, which is focused on IT in the critical infrastructure sectors, along with Dara too, who is that's the right. vice president of Arizona InfraGuard. <laughs> Unintentional, by the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. And I have to save Steve for last. Uh, Steve, we also are joined by three member companies today. How exciting is that? Yeah, it's excellent. (laughs) Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, about the council, any fun stuff we have coming up? Sure. So uh, I'm Steve Zylstra, President and CEO of the Arizona Technology Council for 15 years now. Congratulations. uh, Recent anniversary. First, a little bit about the Tech Council. We're a statewide uh, trade association representing science and technology-based companies. We have offices in both Phoenix uh, and Tucson. Uh, We do public policy advocacy on behalf of our members at both the state and federal level, working with the governor's office, the state legislature, and with our congressional delegation. Uh, We do over uh, 100 events a year on all kinds of topics, including cybersecurity. We also have a cybersecurity committee, uh, which has been uh, around for a long time. A gentleman by the name of Frank Grimmelman is the chair of that. He runs uh, ACTRA. We do have a couple of really exciting cybersecurity events uh, coming up. Uh, The first one is uh, February 28th at 3.30 p.m. It's a a virtual tech speaker series event, and it's on women in cybersecurity. So. that would be the next cyber event. And then we have our annual uh, cybersecurity summit. It'll be on May 11th uh, this year from one to five. And then we also do a uh, uh, cybersecurity breakfast forum in early December uh, every year. So lots of cyber, um, you know, it's relevant to every one of our member companies and all of us personally and mm-hmm. as uh, companies are dealing with cybersecurity issues. And uh, so it's a very hot topic. So I'm really excited to have our, uh, our speakers here today. I think uh, this is an incredibly um, 
topical issue yeah. uh, facing the country and facing the state of Arizona and uh, really looking forward to hearing from our experts. And Steve, I'll give a quick plug to your summits and your forums, because I know for a fact all three of us have met at the forums and the summits. And as industry leaders, we, we look for those and we look forward to those each year to make sure that we are a part of the ecosystem within Arizona and make sure, making sure we're staying involved locally as well. Yeah, we appreciate that very much. Yeah, thank you. And if you want to learn more about any upcoming cybersecurity events, you can visit aztechcouncil.org. We have an events page in Phoenix and Tucson there, but you can also just subscribe to our email newsletter, which will alert you as soon as new events are posted on our website. But I know we have a lot to talk about today, so let's just dive right in. I want to go back in time a little, and I want to understand why each of you decided to pursue careers in cybersecurity. What was interesting to you about the field? Anyone? Is more than welcome to jump in. I can go first, sure. everyone. Go and, for and, it. and the short answer is I didn't. Oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and I'm of a certain age where I started my career as an auditor and mm-hmm. I did a lot of audit, which then led to compliance after I kind of collapsed. And then from there, I had a CIO that told me that compliance was kind of like security, so I could do that too. Uh, and that really is how I got into cybersecurity. And I've been there ever since. I never really got out of it. So that, that, that's kind of my journey. And I think a lot of older people are in cybersecurity by mistake, right? <laughs> or happenstance. Yeah, we didn't plan this. We just ended up here. So, Yeah, just, just to um, pile on there, I was sort of looking at some of the history of cybersecurity. And, well, people involved in the computer industry always knew that it was going to be possible. We really, really didn't see hacking really start to come about until the 70s, right? And of course, over the last 20 years, it's become a, you know, everyday thing in our, in our life. But um, relatively speaking, it's a, it's a new field. You know, when you were starting out, that field didn't exist. No. Right. I actually fell into cybersecurity. I was a business leader as well as an educator. And I spent, got my master's degree in education and learned how to teach. Right. And so I actually had a cybersecurity company reach out to me to really build up their cybersecurity awareness program and their business development program. And with that, as my oldest had to say, did you even know how to say cybersecurity? (laughs) Right. So I had to do a quick self-learning and that's where I sought out and ingested as much as I possibly could to become that, that leader in the industry. And I know that's not the path that a lot of people take, but I, kind of fell into it and I'm grateful for it because the opportunities that lie and the networking capabilities, I'm I'm pleased as punch that I got I kind of fell into it. But um it just shows that when I was actually looking at an NAU picture the other day and it showed a one of the first computer labs up at the university when I was there. And I was like, yep, that was the giant computers and we had five. That was like the high tech computer lab, right? And and I just felt that when I was going to school, I didn't even touch a computer, right? And girls didn't do that. And so when I fell into it and fell into incident response, I, I really became a passion for the industry and helping others. And that's where I think that that's where I feel the need moves forward is to help the others. Please just punch. I love that. <laughs> Susan, what about you? Sure. Advanced business learning is we've been in business for 24 years in workforce effectiveness, and we're always researching and looking for what is the biggest global need for uh, learning and development and skills development. And for our first 12 years, we were in leadership, 
development, sales skills development from an entry-level salesperson to the C-suite. And about 12 years ago, we were doing our research and cybersecurity came up on every single list that we were looking at. Every subject matter expert was saying the world is in need of cybersecurity skills and a cybersecurity workforce. There's some out there and we have to get so much better at it because the war is coming at us. And that's when we got into cybersecurity and never looked back. Absolutely. Yep. By the way, when I was in college, um, goes back far enough that I learned uh, basic Fortran and COBOL. Sure. Uh, when I was in high college. Bless you. But, uh, <laughs> but we we never talked about cybersecurity. We never yeah. talked about, you know, the issues that, that we're facing as a nation and as a world today. And I'd like to go there next. Um, what do we see going on globally in, in cybersecurity? What have been some of the major events that are really driving the headlines around cybersecurity? Uh, and what are some of the other trends in general uh, around cybersecurity? Anyone want to jump in there? I'll be happy to start. Just to quote a few studies, Stanford and IBM report between 88% and 95% of successful attacks. There are mi- hundreds of millions of attacks every day, and there's a difference between an attempted attack, of course, and a successful attack. The successful attacks are 90, between again, 88% and 95 are due to human error. And that's really where we all need to um, have our focus. Ransomware is increasing exponentially. And employers out there, I defer to my esteemed colleagues here on the panel, I'm sure you're part of this. 82% of companies are reporting a deficit of cybersecurity skills, and 71% of that 82% are saying this is causing great harm and great risk to their organization's productivity, their workforce, and their positions in the marketplace. By the way, some days I feel like I'm getting 100 million attacks. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Anyone else? I'm actually looking at it as a different with the different lens of the cyber insurance capabilities. So each day that changes as well from, you know, various catastrophic bombs that are being released, as well as nation state war exclusions, along with 400 percent increases on premiums. So when a business owner goes to renew their policy and they're told, well, last year you paid X, but now this year we're asking 400 times that you're really looking for risk mitigation strategies to lower your risk and see what kind of controls you can put in place. And so I'm looking at that as a different category because of the fact the ransomware is growing and malware is growing and the threats are growing and the, the, the lack of people awareness and that, communi- that cybersecurity cleanliness or hygiene is really lacking in a lot of companies. We just renewed our cybersecurity insurance and went up pretty <laughs> substantially. Probably a good call, though. <laughs> They're getting more and more sophisticated and complex, too, I've noticed. Even if you're pretty tech-savvy, it's easy to fall victim to something like that. Mm-hmm. What about you, Andrew? It is. And, and, you know, as I'm dealing with a lot of different companies that want to get better at cybersecurity, uh, they don't know where to start. Right. Right. I, I thought this was going to be an easy job when I took it. It's not. <laughs> right. I just just going to figure out where they are and help them get to where they want to go. But they don't know what better cybersecurity looks like. 
You know, well, on top of the acronym soup that we have. Yes, we like we our acronyms. Thank you very soup. much. Yeah. You're going to have to break that one down for us. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned cyber hygiene because that term and creating a culture of cybersecurity are really unfamiliar. What does that mean? How do I go about doing that? How do I create an organization? And it's a question of starting at the boardroom getting cybersecurity on every organization's board agenda, having to start at the top, and then educating everyone in the organization what is cyber hygiene. It, that means that everyone in the organization is aware of the best cybersecurity practices. Creating a cybersecurity culture means that everyone in the organization has accountability for upskills, learning, development, and engaging in best practices and never making that one click that's going to take your organization down. Yeah. Well, and as you're doing that, what you're really doing is changing the culture of the organization. So if you don't have that buy-in, right, that's critical from the executive team to be behind you on that as you're going forward and doing that. Unfortunately, it's the executive team to blame for some of the problems we have right now. If you look at, I think, the two biggest things that have that negative impact on cybersecurity was the advent of the iPhone, hmm. because the CFO just had to have an iPhone. And before those days, we had a wall around our IT, right. and we were able to protect it much, much better. But as soon as the iPhone came in, that ushered in their age of, of uh, bring your own device, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing that I think that negatively impacted cybersecurity was uh, cryptocurrency, right? Bitcoin or, or things like that, uh, because that made it profitable. And that's why there's so many people that are there right now that are, are trying to hack you. It's because they make money doing it. So but it's it, not all doom and gloom in Arizona, just so people don't get frightened, <laughs> right? I actually saw a poll yesterday of business owners in Arizona, and they polled 150 business owners. And the question was, does your business implement MFA, which stands for multi-factor authentication? Out of the 150 business owners that were, that were polled, 98% not only had it installed and utilized it, but they were making sure it was across their environment. So that's a great added great. bonus for Arizona. Way, way to go, Arizona, being tech leaders <laughs> and understanding that what MFA stands for and how it's used. Now that other 2%, mm. apparently, Andrew, you and I need to go out and rescue those, those that 2%. Next customers. <laughs> those are our next customers. Yeah. Well, and actually, the state of Arizona is doing a, a great thing right now, too, with a lot of the smaller entities that are out there, cities, towns, counties, school districts, where they've, the state is purchasing uh, cybersecurity products. They've mm -hmm. purchased five different ones that they give away to these entities for free, including multi-factor authentication and protecting their web environment and some other tools as well. So that, that's gone a long way. So Susan already mentions, uh, mentioned some of the threats uh, that we face, like ransomware and so on. You know, in our, in our environment, the, the primary thing that we're dealing with on a daily basis, in my case, dozens and dozens of times a day, are, is phishing, right? Can you speak to what are the top threats for most companies today? Uh, is it, you know, getting in through phishing? Is it ransomware? What, what are the highest priority issues? Well, first of all, let's, <laughs> let's just uh, be honest and say that the cyber criminals that are out, that are out there, most of them aren't that smart. They oh. really aren't. Right. All you have to do to get into somebody's environment is ask and they'll click that link and you're in. Right. Uh, so most of the hackers that are out there. They're not that smart because they don't have to. Yeah. 
right? And and phishing is a big threat for a lot of people, uh, a lot of organizations out there, probably the biggest one, uh, right? If we were so much better at phishing and knowing when someone's trying to defraud you, then they would have to get smart if they want to stay yep. profitable. But right now they don't. And they're also part of the Fab Four, right? The four leaders of the industry, the nation states, Russia, Iran, China, North Korea, those are those are where a lot of the techniques are still coming from. And as Andrew indicated, it is easy for them to just knock on the door and say, hi, I saw you were at this wedding the other day. Look, you're on YouTube. Click on this link to watch it. So the, the threats in operations technology, the industrial control systems, as well as ransomware are equally growing exponentially. And that's where there are significant risks. I don't know if anyone remembers the power grid was taken down in Puerto Rico two or three years ago. Hmm. And that was a test for the bad guys to say, we can do it. So small country, but still had a significant impact. And they're testing how much and how fast they can actually infiltrate. It's a real area of focus and it's a significantly dangerous significant danger to every citizen what chemical spill uh, impacts the planet so there's all of those threats are growing exponentially and it gets scarier the more digital and virtual we get i can imagine so in the face of all of those threats how are you seeing businesses more closely integrate cybersecurity within their business operations to protect themselves, their employees, and their clients? Well, I can speak on behalf of the Optive clients, and we're really showing the importance of the Optive insurability controls. We believe that there's 10, 10 foundational platforms that we can instill and, and consult and advise their clients to make sure that if those are done properly, that creates that clean hy- cyber hygiene, as well as a foundation that's strong enough to withstand a lot of the, what's going on today. We're seeing more organizations ask to get educated on what's called GRC, governance, risk, and compliance. I know my colleagues, I know Andrew's so familiar with that. And of course, in the insurance industry, your premiums could actually be lowered when you have an implemented and monitored solid GRC, governance, risk, compliance policies, and that everyone in the organization is held accountable understands what those policies are and is held accountable for abiding by those policies. Mm-hmm. So that's, we're seeing that as well. And we're also seeing a lot of the leaders are involved now, right? Uh, because those premiums are going up and, and contractual requirements are now there that weren't there before, the board of directors involved. They're interested in cybersecurity, which by extension, the executives are now interested in cybersecurity. So we've got to see at the table, finally. Uh, and, and really, they're starting to do things with cyber in mind first rather than, oh, by the way, we did that last week. Can you make it secure for us? Mm-hmm. Right? That's one of the big transformations I've seen over the last five to 10 years is that CIOs and CISOs are, are now part of the C-suite, right? Uh, reporting to the directly to the CEO, and uh, it's become an important part of the business strategy in order to uh, protect the company and their clients, the clients and employees. 
That's no longer a person at the back office. That's right. So <laughs> She's at the head of the table now. Now, I know we have a lot more meaty conversation to get to, especially around workforce and how we can develop the pipeline of cybersecurity workers. But I do want to make sure we carve out time to thank our sponsor. Um, so I'd like to thank the Arizona Commerce Authority, AZ TechCast's 2022 Innovation Sponsor, the Arizona Commerce Authority is the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape, lower taxes, less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, We've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high-quality living that makes life better here. So just before the break, Bianca indicated that we wanted to talk about workforce and Early on, you mentioned some national data regarding uh, the number of open positions mm -hmm. in cybersecurity. Uh, in Arizona, I've heard it anything from uh, 11,000 to 16,000 wow. uh, open positions. So the demand is high. And you know, without the talent, it's hard to protect yourself. So can we talk a little bit about what kind of candidates uh, are really adept or interested in this kind of field and um, how do they get involved? Not everyone all at once. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, certainly I think uh, for cybersecurity, at least the, the most important skill you can possibly have is to be really an analytic thinker uh, and, and really be able to break things down and, and solve it. Now, if you're an analytic thinker that understands the business as well, you'll be the leader, right? Those two things combined is what's making up the CISO nowadays. Our most successful graduates at ABL Cyber Academy and graduates of our cyber range, they come in as lifelong learner because the landscape, the cybersecurity landscape is changing by the hour, maybe by the minute. Being a first responder, if you have that inclination uh, to be a first responder, you can help your organization without having to run into a burning building. Being a problem solver, those kinds of characteristics really make a successful cybersecurity analyst. And we'll talk a little bit later, I think, about what the criteria is. But those, those type of individuals 
Again, absolutely analytical thinking, being a team player. This is not a one-person role. This is where you have to collaborate with just about everybody in your organization from some level or another. Well, and that's one of, one of the key characteristics that I love to point out is you don't have to be the techni- technical person with the hands-on keyboard skills. We need marketing people. We need recruiters. We need uh, various salespeople educators. We need forensics advisors, those first responders. We need management. And yes, we do need the hands-on keyboard technical people, but we need so many different facets that it's not just a one and done kind of skill. And that's what I think is great about cybersecurity. If you're inquisitive and want to be that lifelong learner, you have the opportunity to come into a workforce that desperately needs new people and allows the growth of so many different areas that Marketing to a cybersecurity firm is, is critical moving forward. And sales, we, we're always looking for good salespeople. And you don't have to be that tech guru or, you know, the pocket protector person from, the, you know, <laughs> long time ago. And, and it's kind of, we, we love everybody. I was one of those. <laughs> good to know you don't have to be that typical behind the scenes coder type of personality to really succeed in cybersecurity. But say you are inquisitive, say uh, you don't want to run into burning buildings, but you're still a first responder type. Where do you start? How do you get into this field, Um, whether you're an entry-level professional or more of a mid-career shifter? We're starting to work with K through 12. We have to start as early as possible. And then the other One of the other things we have to do, I think, is really get out there and market more than we're marketing. I think the larger population says, oh, this is something I can't possibly do. I don't have a college degree. And that's not really the case. Post-secondary vocational schools uh, can get you absolutely jump-started. It doesn't require um, a college degree. So I think everyone on this panel and everyone listening in Really, we all have the responsibility to spread the word, to say this is, you don't have to have an IT degree. You don't have to have an IT background. One example is gamers. Adult and youth gamers are really very well suited because their critical thinking skills in their gaming activities are very closely related to what's required in cybersecurity. So it's not a limited area at all. No experience. You can absolutely get started. Yeah. From, from what I know, boot camps, uh, mm-hmm. there are boot camps, uh, two-year degrees, four-year degrees, sort of the entire spectrum. It's not unlike Intel working with the Maricopa Community College created an AI program, right? And they're accepting anyone with a GED or a high school education uh, into the program. And this gets them started on that path. And I think it's true with cybersecurity as well. A couple of things I want to say about what we've done around cybersecurity. Um, we worked with an organization called Pipeline AZ, really worked hard. We had CTOs, CISOs, CIOs working with us to really build out a hub focused on IT and cyber. And uh, our audience can get to that hub at itcybercareers.com. You can see the kinds of opportunities that are available. 
what the pipeline looks like. You know, if you want to get to here, you've got to do this and this and this. Even uh, for K through 12, there are career exploration opportunities uh, on that website. So couldn't agree with you more. You've got to start them out as early as, as possible and get the, you know, get them um, motivated and excited about what the opportunity uh, presents. In addition to that, we're a subrecipient to a ASU uh, program uh, from the uh, U.S. Department of Labor that focuses on cyber. There are a plethora of opportunities through that program for all kinds of folks to get into cyber. And just about every technique you can imagine, whether it's internships, uh, work-based experiences of all kinds, including apprenticeships uh, in cyber, are now available through that program and many others around the state. So uh, I think it's an exciting time for people who want to pursue those opportunities. There are even programs out there today that are free and they're very good. So I think anyone listening that's interested in cybersecurity, now's the time to get to get involved. Well, and federal monies were released back in August that grants um, ISC squared, their entry-level certification is completely free of charge. The class and the actual test. So that allows everybody to learn the basics, how to enter into cybersecurity. What are some of the key skills that are needed? I was I was one of the proctors that helped design the curriculum and the and the test, and I'm telling you, it's one of the best well well designed tests and classes because oddly enough, the test questions match the curriculum that is taught in the class. So, you know, that's always an added bonus when when you can take the test and be like, yeah, we did actually cover this. And I think it, it's a great avenue that people can look at the ISC squared website and find out this is completely free of charge. What a great way to sort of level the playing field and open doors for for young people, for mid-career professionals to be able to explore this new career path. And especially if you're introducing this at, you know, in elementary schools Mm -hmm. or at a younger age where people can start to sort of identify with this career path way earlier on in life because it's an option now. Mm -hmm. And I think it breaks down uh, some barriers for more diversity uh, as well with a program like that. Speaking of barriers, <laughs> <Great segue. laughs> what, what are some of the barriers that companies are facing in attracting uh, cybersecurity professionals? We've heard demand is high. Um, how difficult is it to find talent? It's difficult, right? It mm-hmm. takes months. We've already mentioned that there's not enough people, and that is the, the biggest thing out there. I'll be honest, there are some people that want premium pay for an entry-level position. Sure. That's not going to happen either. If we can align the expectations, cybersecurity can be a very lucrative field for you. You can earn a great living doing cybersecurity, but maybe not the very first job you get. So it's not long before those align up to where you want them to be. Uh, There is that. A lot of people, you know, uh, another barrier for a lot of companies is that they're still stuck in that you have to have a degree mode, Mm -hmm. right? And we've got, you know, such a shortage of people uh, that you don't necessarily have to have a degree. You got to have skills to make things happen, but degree, yeah, not so much. And the curiosity, right? Right. To learn and Mm -hmm. be trained. I I just want to echo, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just want to echo what you just said, Andrew, because that is absolutely our core philosophy that the employers are shooting for the highest qualified individual 
to the benefit of those employees bringing someone in at an entry level and investing in their education gets them someone, by the way, who's going to stay with them because the high, pe- the high level people are getting poached um, and we're not filling the jobs. We're just moving the open jobs around. When an organization invests in training, an individual coming in and invests in their future, an individual, there's significant studies that say that individual stays with that organization and reduces turnover and reduces mm-hmm. poaching. So ev- I echo every single thing that you said. I, I was just going to pile on too that over the last five to seven years, I've seen uh, a movement toward more skills-based hiring than pedigree yes. hiring. There are still large companies out there that, you know, if you don't have a BS or an MS, you don't make it through their filter. Right. But uh, that's becoming uh, less the case. And um, I think community college degrees are becoming uh, much more in vogue. Uh, you know, it, it, it had to do with a generation of us who all wanted our kids to get a four-year degree, right? And uh, it, that's, that's proven not to be successful for a lot of people. And uh, so I think whether it's, uh, you know, starting out in a boot camp or getting a two-year degree, or even with all the, um, the right capabilities, starting out from high school and getting in-house trained. And I, I wanted to ask a little bit about that. Uh, have you seen uh, a trend for uh, companies using their own sort of in-house training? You would be particularly um, knowledgeable about this, you know, to bring people along, either people that are already in the company or people who are coming in without degrees. We're starting to see that in the marketplace now uh, where people are, are, well, A, there's a a group of companies out there that are developing training for that purpose. Uh, But then there's also a group of companies that are buying this training now. So it is coming, coming full circle, right? And there, there are training now more so than they have been in the past. Uh, there's still a lot of holdouts out there too. So yeah, there are. And we have a lot of great local companies that are national, nationally recognized that have fantastic programs that welcome new people in and they'll spend four to eight weeks on a certain cybersecurity skill and then they transfer to the next one. So they may start as uh, governance and risk and compliance and then they'll switch to IT tech and then they'll switch into incident response and then they'll take switch into cybersecurity awareness. And this is a 12-month program for these companies. And I've had a couple of people tell me, well, I definitely don't like that aspect, but I'm counting down the days to my next eight weeks, right? And, and I think that's just a great avenue because the people that are coming out of high school or college may not, they know they want to be in cybersecurity. Don't, don't get me wrong, but they may not understand that there is GRC, there is IR, there is tech, there is, and so they, they may not, they may not know what the different avenues are there. And so they, and then they'll be like, oh, I got a job in this. And then they're like, well, that was not (laughs) for me, right? So having that eight weeks to test it out and test the waters, you're still loving cybersecurity and, you know, gives you the opportunity. And then after that, you know, that training is done, that allows you to go and find that full-time position in your organization that brought you in and saying, you know, I'm, I'm here to stay now. Is that kind of cybersecurity's version of apprenticeships or are there actual apprenticeships outside of that for folks who are kind of transitioning from the education system or programs into 
So the only okay. other apprenticeships I, I've heard of is the AZ Pipeline okay. and yeah. the ASU collaboration. There, there is another program. It was actually developed by the Washington Industry Technology Association, which is our peer in Washington State. It's called Apprenti. SRP actually uh, used it. Uh, as you know, they're shutting down the Four Corners uh, Navajo right. Power Station. SRP wanted to offer everyone else an alternative job. And one of the things they did is installed Apprenti in their first cohort. Uh, there were nine, nine individuals that uh, raised their hand and they went through the apprentice uh, training and uh, all nine of those individuals today are working in IT or cybersecurity oh, that's great. at SRP, which is a really uh, wonderful program. And apprentice is actually the most successful technology-focused apprenticeship program in the nation oh, wow. uh, today. But um, this program that you're mentioning, um, it's part of a ASU program called AZ Next, um, mm -hmm. focused on IT and cyber, uh, again, has a whole range of opportunities. You know, if there are individuals from the uh, underserved community that, uh, you know, don't have the wherewithal, uh, that can be addressed. Um, uh, wherever you come in, you know, mm -hmm. whether you're a fresh out of high school or have a GED or you're a mid-career, there's an opportunity through that program. Um, and apprenticeships are a big part of it. So we've talked a little bit about how folks can prepare for careers in cybersecurity, but I almost want to change the story now to how companies can make sure that their cybersecurity teams are staying up to date on their latest skills and trends and way to sort of combat the com or combat any sort of threats from from harming the company or their clients. So. Um, how how are companies currently training their existing cybersecurity teams and, and how can they better train them? What are opportunities for improvement? We can start with the problems here. First of all, most companies don't have the cybersecurity team. So, Fair. right? That's a great place right? to start. Problem uh, number and, one. And problem number one. Problem number two is, is that those that do, a lot of times the cybersecurity team is running around with their hair on fire. Right. Right. And they don't have time for training. And it, it, it is very important. And you need to carve out some time mm -hmm. uh, for that training. Any kind of training is better than nothing at all. And money. Money's good too. <laughs> and that eliminates a lot of the the errors, the human errors, Susan, that you were talking about earlier, where, you know, even well-intentioned, highly skilled cybersecurity professionals sometimes maybe fall victim to those types of mistakes. Um, cyber ranges, well-designed cyber ranges, well-designed cyber ranges are um, a major contributor that are addressing these kinds of educational issues internally and again, getting the workforce ready to come in and be a significant contributor to that organization's uh, safety. It also addresses because a well-designed cyber range can upskill individuals in a very short period of time. We have the need for speed here. <laughs> I said that earlier. The threats are getting larger, bigger, and more abundant on a, on a daily basis. And um, so, again, the need for speed for upskilling and getting a workforce that has higher level uh, skills in threat prevention is really critical. Susan, you mentioned cyber ranges. and. Um, I'm going to describe my understanding of them, and then uh, maybe you can uh, <laughs> correct me or add, or add yeah. some additional information. So 
Cyber range is where a company can essentially take its its IT environment into the range, and then the range is set up so that uh, it can attack that system to identify the vulnerabilities that that system has and protecting the company from all those threats that we've been talking about. Is that a pretty good description? A plus. <laughs> Thank you um, for that description. And many of you may be wondering what even is the term cyber range and where did it come from? First of all, a cyber range is a place on the cloud where individuals go to upskill from entry level to very, very advanced, where the company, the organization simulates their environment and individuals are testing out in a safe environment where they're practicing with attack scenarios, causing no danger to the organization. One of the, um, so where did the term come from? It came from the military. The military has always trained its personnel, Army, Navy, on gun ranges, where they're teaching our soldiers to fight against and take down the enemy. So many, many years ago, the federal government started to use the word cyber range to train people to take down our adversaries and prevent our adversaries from being successful in hacks. So that's where it came from. Ranges are now, the best ranges again, are out on the cloud, 24-7 access because of what you were talking about, Andrew, the time available. And organizations are able to customize their learning experiences so that it's the time is so well spent because those individuals are getting that job role ready skills pertinent to that organization's job role. So it's becoming um, significantly more popular as a, as a tool. And again, our newest cogent cyber range is affordable. It's not billions of dollars that have to be allocated for education. We don't have, most organizations don't have that kind of budget. And again, we have to hurry here. <laughs> so. Yeah. One thing I've seen a lot of people as they build out ranges too, they're, they're forgetting there is a human element, right? You need to upskill these people. Otherwise, you know, if you don't have the proper training and, and the people involved in it, all you've got is a technology stack, just like any other technology stack. And, and, that is the difference, I think, between a good range and a great range. Right? Yes. And do we have a number of ranges that are available around the state? Yes, we do have a number of ranges that are available around the state. Because it is a physical place, yeah. uh, you know, that's important that it be accessible to. Hmm. Actually, cyber ranges are not physical. Oh. They are all... They're, it's in the cloud. In the cloud and easily accessible to anyone. And easily customizable to the organization. So there are probably, you know, the top two or three ranges. We find that um, because ranges are getting so prevalent right now, because it's a hot button, they're coming onto the marketplace like hamburger drive throughs as I like to say. And an organization has to be really do their due diligence because there are across the spectrum of quality ranges that are available. And so that's really something that an organization 
can easily do and quickly do to to really research and bring in the highest quality range to their organization that suits their culture, that suits their needs. And another hot topic that people can do is um, hackathons. And that goes back to the life, the desire to be a lifelong learner, right? So that's a fun activity that you can get together and do the hackathon. And it's a self-contained environment that you can really kind of play and have fun and capture the flag in the end. And the concept behind hackathons is essentially being presented with a problem to solve or something like that. And maybe a group of of students or professionals. Mm -hmm band together to come up with a solution to this problem. Is that right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Now back to the cyber range thing really fast. I'm, I'm still envisioning a physical location where you go to kind of like those law enforcement training ranges where you have like the pop-up people and, and you have to see who's the, the good guy and who's the bad guy and whether you take action or not. If you wanted to take a group of kids, for example, on a field trip, you couldn't take them to a physical location to observe how a cyber range works or well, you there, could. there are a few physical mm-hmm. cyber ranges okay. right they're not 100 percent in the cloud yeah. okay uh so there are places that you can go to do that and there's a few here in the valley that that can do that and do that as well okay. but again mm-hmm. it's it's the people that's there that makes the difference and makes it a, a true cyber right. range otherwise it's just a tech stack like any other tech right. stack what we do to address what you're talking about is bring a group of students together, maybe on site to our Mm -hmm. physical location and put them in a room and put the cyber range up on the screen and give them the most basic training and say, have at it and let's go. And the high schoolers are really, really getting excited about that. So it's a combination of what's on the cloud, but making it feel like more of a physical environment. And high schools also have access to the Cyber Patriot program as well. Yes. Well, for educators listening out there, the, the could be a field trip opportunity. High schools, <laughs> if, if, if you know. So um, I'm very familiar with the Phoenix Coding Academy, for instance. Um, are, are they teaching cyber in the high school level, particularly when it's like a magnet school oh, like that that's focused mm-hmm. on IT and coding? Yes. Yeah. Basha High School in particular in Chandler has a phenomenal cyber program. We're a partner with Basha High School and our first cyber range, not the Cogent cyber range, but ABL's first cyber range is actually embedded in their lab platform. Mm -hmm. And the Cyber Patriot program, Janet Hartkoff, that runs that program is one of the leaders in high school cyber security education. I'm so glad you brought that up. Janet's a member of our WESIS Arizona. Ah. Small so, world. Kudos, well, kudos to Janet for sure. Time has really gone fast, and I've, we've got a couple more questions uh, to ask you. Um, so, one of the things um, I care about and we focus on uh, a lot at the Arizona Tech Council is diversity. And as we all know, particularly in coding and and um, in IT, it's it's been a man's world for a long time, right? Not a, not enough women. Uh, participated, not enough uh, people of color. Uh, how how can we encourage a much more diverse uh, workforce uh, in cybersecurity? What are the things that we, as a society, as a state, as individual companies, should be doing to encourage more diverse workforce? Some of it comes from the company as a whole. Really focusing on the culture. Um, there's been toxic cultures of white male that, uh, and the 
broadcasted right on the website. And women will come to me and be like, I'm not even going to apply there. Right. Because they're like, that's not where I want to be. And they, you know, they're, or they'll interview and be like, I wasn't even appreciated. And so that comes back to the company culture of really looking internally present day and say, Hey, what are we doing? What are, where do we need, where do we need to change? Right. And really focus on that and provide that opportunity for the company to have a, that have the opportunity to change first. And then the marketing of the company can change and say, okay, you know, we're, I think we're ready to grow. And now the, you know, if, it, if the people of the outside look in and say, yeah, that company is growing and changing, there's been an opportunity for lots of people to look at other companies on their websites and be like, oh yeah, they do have a DEI program. They do have a women, they do have, they do have a woman on their website. Like <laughs> that makes the world of difference and it makes people feel a little bit more comforting. And having organizations like Lisa's and have we, you know, sometimes we just do a happy hour where people can come together and chat, chat, chit chat. And other times we'll have educational platforms and really helping people connect on LinkedIn and having that growth and that networking capability and asking questions and feeling comfortable and to know that there is good, bad, and ugly out there, but your, your goal is to find the good and the great. I really like that answer because, you know, we all learned from the great resignation that millennials and Gen Xers uh, or Gen Xers are very focused on culture, right? Mm-hmm. And that great resignation uh, was a result of companies that didn't have the kind of culture that they expect or didn't have the kind of diversity that they expect. So any other uh, thoughts about how to uh, attract folks from diverse backgrounds? I think this kind of a venue, I'm so, that's why I was so excited to be here today. More of these types of things where people who are listening in today and can then go out and you tell others and you tell others and they tell others that this is a field that is in fact open and hungry for individuals of all cultures, of all types, for women, and that the entry point is accessible to you. It is not at high level as a high level as you may think that it is. So this kind of event and other events like it have to happen more frequently so that the individuals out there who say, I can't do this. Yes, you can. And there are so many organizations that will help you get there. Mm -hmm. Bianca, you want to take us home with a final question? Absolutely. So with our final couple of minutes, I want to hear your predictions um, for what the next five years may have in store for the world of cybersecurity. Obviously, things are shifting every day. So what do you think is is waiting for us? Well, I, <clears throat> I think for me, at, right, five years from now, the, the human element is still going to be the weakest link, but maybe a little bit less more so because the, their companies are required to do the training now for cyber insurance, things like that. So that'll still be a problem. There will be new techniques and, 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 and practices that, that people develop to hack into systems. And then they're going to put them on a shelf and use the old stuff because the old stuff is still going to work, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> it's going to adapt and evolve just as it has been doing as, you know, and, and some of them will revert back. Everything is cyclical, but I, it gives everybody the opportunity to join and upfill positions in the industry because we are moving forward and we are advancing and we are making changes and 
I mean, I've, I've started BSIS in Arizona back in 2020. And since that back then it was, you know, 10% women and 10% people of other nationalities and races. And now we're up to 24%. So in five years, we've really increased. So in five years from now, maybe it's up another 14%. I think that's a change for the better. We always look to the research. We're a research-based organization and Global Cybercrime Magazine predicts 10.5 trillion annually in cyber attacks and ransomware and other effects by 2025. So this kind of venue, I'm going to plug us again, is so important because we can stop that trend. It is absolutely and positively doable. These conversations, this awareness in the community, we can absolutely skilling up the workforce, job-ready skills. We can absolutely make a difference and make an impact and have it not mm-hmm. be as significantly terrible <laughs> as some of the experts are projecting in five years. My, my prediction is that the bad actors are not going to go away and that this no. field is going to continue to grow and be vital to not only the security of each one of our companies, each one of our homes, but to the security of our nation. So this is the time to get into cybersecurity sure because uh, it's, it's a lifelong opportunity. And with those growing challenges comes the growing opportunity for Arizona to really make a mark regionally, but also nationally and see about showing the world what Arizona can do with cybersecurity leadership. So Wow, what a great conversation. I have learned so much and I am so, so grateful for each of your time today and that we could all be together here in the studio at Phoenix Business Radio X. You've been listening to AZ TechCast brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio with Business Radio X. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you by the Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Thank you so, so much. Arizona Commerce Authority. If you're interested in being a podcast participant or a sponsor for the council's AZ TechCast, contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org and you might get a response from me. To learn more about opportunities to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Until next time, I'm Bianca Baliga. Thank you for joining us for AZ TechCast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AZ TechCast with Arizona Technology Council, featuring leading tech and business experts that help influence and shape our great state and the industries they serve.